Good morning. Is the mic on? Let's see. Hang on a second. <laughs> Welcome to Northminster Church this morning as we gather on this Palm Sunday to worship and celebrate uh, Christ and our chance to be together. We're going to work on the mic. I want to say a special word of welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. We are particularly glad that you are here um, and hope that you will feel completely welcome and participate in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. If you have questions about how we do that, you can check your order of worship or just follow the person in front of you who looks like they know what they're doing. They won't lead you wrong. Also, if you would, pass the worship registry that is on the inside of your aisle. Pass that down your row so we know that you're here. And then I want to make you aware of several things. Of course, we are uh, starting Holy Week, and that is the busiest week in the life of the church. After church today is the Easter egg hunt and picnic. Um, and then Monday through Friday of next week, we have our Holy Week devotionals with a lunch provided. Those begin at noon. They are totally free, and you are all welcome to come and participate in those. On Thursday, we have our wine and water service at 5 o'clock in our columbarium, which is at this far end of the building. And then the Monday, Thursday service is at 6. Friday, our Good Friday service is also at 6. Of course, we will have church next week at our regular time. And then as you look at your order of worship today, I want to point out a couple of things. The first, um, for our kids who are in the back, but for all the adults, I will make this announcement. The order there is a little bit different than usual. We're going to go straight from the processional into the children's message and then the hymn. So don't stand up to sing too early. You will be singing a solo. And then at the end of the service, you will notice that is a bit different as well. There will be a silent recession. Um, I'll offer the benediction. You will remain seated. There will be a silent recession by myself and the choir. Once the choir is out of the sanctuary, that is your cue to get up and move. But I would ask that you do that in silence. And we're doing that today because we're preparing for Holy Week, which is a time of silence and reflection and a lot of other big, heavy emotions. So we want to give you the opportunity to prepare yourself for that. Now, with all of that said, um, I feel the need to, to comment a bit on what has happened in our world this week. It's been a rough week. Shootings in Denver, shooting in Nashville. No matter where you fall on the political spectrum, American politics are always a wild ride. It's a lot. And I don't know how you felt, especially when you heard the news about Nashville. I didn't know what to say. Besides, it's happened again. But I feel the need to say to you, I don't know what to say. And so if you are there as well, that is perfectly okay to not know what to say. And Thomas Merton, who was a Catholic monk and a prolific writer, wrote a prayer about that exact thing. And I'd like to share that with you this morning. So let's pray together. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that my desire to please you does, in fact, please you. 
and I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me alone to face my perils. Amen. And now we have our moment for mission. emphasis for our mission trunk this month is the food bank. The food bank of Northeast Louisiana procures, sorts, inventories, and provides food to over 50 partner agencies for distribution in the 12 parish region they serve. Now there are three ways to help other than One of them is to bring food directly and put it into our trunk, donate food, uh, which there's big emphasis on staples, the uh, peanut butter in plastic jars if possible, um, tuna, things like that. There's a list on the website, and their website is very informative, very well organized. That's at www.foodbanknila.org. Lots of information on there. Now, there are three basic ways to help, as I said. One's to donate food directly. One's to donate money, which is used for different programs that we'll talk about in a second. The other um, is to volunteer. Now, there's two ways to volunteer. You can go down in person, help sort, uh, help organize the food, help um, fill bags for donations for people to pick up. Uh, But also you can be a virtual volunteer. Now the way that happens is you can follow Food Bank NILA on social media and sign up for their emails. Then help spread the word by sharing with your particular circles. Um, Or you can look at the bigger picture, help by joining the grassroots advocacy group then you will receive emails about legislative issues affecting hunger uh, relief as well as advocacy-related events. Some of the programs, um, you're probably familiar with the backpack that elementary school children get if they need it to take home so that they'll have some snacks and some nourishment uh, over the weekend. There's also a program for seniors. 1,435 seniors in Northeast Louisiana receive supplemental food each month to help stretch their food budgets. Um, Another program is response to natural disasters. In the weeks and months after a natural disaster, the need for emergency food increases as displaced families seek necessary resources. So the food bank helps provide this emergency assistance to shelters and to individuals. 
Um, the other thing with the food bank is they sponsor events. Now, the uh, upcoming event, um, the most that is near to fruition is the Empty Bowls for 2023. And that will be on April 22nd at the Civic Center. There'll be food vendors, a lot of uh, well-known restaurants, you can see the list on the website. Uh, we'll be there with their food booths, uh, serving food. Um, there'll be entertainment. There's a group called the Talk Talk Troubadours that will entertain. And there'll be artisans there, particularly artisans um, making ceramic bowls. The way you can participate, um, children um, can get a ticket for food, uh, to participate in the food part for $10. Uh, if you just want to, adults, if you just want to go for the food, that's $20. But if you want to go for the higher level and get a ceramic bowl made by a local artisan, you can get the $40 ticket and then you can have the food and take home a bowl. With community support, the food bank is able to provide over six million meals annually throughout the network of programs and community partners. And again, I direct you to their website, which is very well organized, lots and lots of information, www.foodbanknela.org. Thank you, Mary. You all will notice as you look at your call to worship that there is a pulpit side and a lectern side. This is the pulpit side. You are the lectern side. With that clarified, please join me in our call to worship. God gathers all people into this house of prayer. Welcoming. Look, God is with us. In humble triumph, God comes. And we come to meet God here. Thanks be to God.
you for bringing our palms and guys come on up you have so many new friends today my goodness you all look very nice today so we're going to continue this morning yeah just grab a seat wherever you can we are going to continue talking about cuba a few weeks ago we talked about the fact that we have a partner church we have a church we are friends with in cuba and dr clark has been to cuba how many times 30, 30, 40? A lot of times. So we talked to Mr. Craig last week, so I thought we'd talk to Dr. Clark this week about his time in Cuba. So I have some questions, and Dr. Clark is going to answer them for us. So tell us when you first went to Cuba, and what was that first trip like? First time was in 1994. None of you were alive yet. Uh, what was it like? It was uh, an eye-opening experience, I would say that. Uh, in so many ways, uh, despite all the difficulties that they were having at the time, and they continued to have some of the same ones, uh, it was uh, a breath of fresh air from a spiritual standpoint because of the incredible blessing that we got out of seeing how people navigated day to day with not enough food, not enough medicine, not enough clothing, not enough just about everything that we take for granted every day. What do you think is the biggest difference between Cuba and where we live? Uh, as Craig mentioned last week, there, there are many. Uh, and we like to dwell on the positive. use a lot of horses in Cuba. What's your favorite Cuba memory? Well, I thought about that. Craig's last week was wonderful. There's so many. Uh, my memory stretches over, uh, this one thing stretches over a number of years. And uh, some of you have met the current pastor of the church, Eduardo Gonzalez. He took the place of the original pastor of the church, Noel Fernandez, who retired. Eduardo first came to us in 1996, I believe, as an interpreter. He was teaching English uh, in high school because very few Cubans know how to speak English. So he was trying to teach that to the students, just like some of you may be taking Spanish or French or some other languages in school. Uh, he had very little experience with church. He did not really grow up going to church like we did. Uh, so he had uh, not much of that. He Though over the years, uh, was committed to learning all about uh, the 
the Spirit of God and how to minister to people. And now he's one of the most profound uh, preachers uh, that we know. His development of, of this uh, Christian spirit has been remarkable. So that's the one memory that I'll share to us now. So tell us, last question. Why is our friendship between our church and the church in Cuba so important? As you probably know, it's really important to get to know as many different kinds of people around the world as you possibly can. Because it's only by getting to know them that you can understand their circumstances. And it, it, we don't prejudge, like we see something in the newspaper and we say, oh, well, that must be this or that or the other. When you see it in person, make much better uh, judgment and assessment, and you find out that they're people just like we are. Uh, they love each other deeply. Uh, so uh, the big difference, I think, is uh, I think there's a probably stronger what we call work ethic, meaning that everybody in Cuba really wants to work hard to achieve something. They're all educated, as Craig mentioned last week. So Everybody can read and write and, and do all of that, and they have the opportunity to go to school. And uh, they are fiercely independent people. They don't mm. want somebody else telling them how they need to live their lives. Thank you. So if you all have questions, more questions about Cuba, about maybe what they eat or what the people are like, or about they use lots of horses, if you want to ask Dr. Clark about that after church, you can. He can answer those questions for you. But I want you all to remember how important our friendship with our friends in Cuba is. And when you all get a little bit bigger, you might be able to go to Cuba and help keep our friendship going. And that's really, really special. Okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to all turn around, face the congregation. You are leading this part of our service. Turn around and face the congregation. Turn all the way around and face the congregation. Yep. And let's, I know we have quite a crowd today, so let's try to sit on our bottoms, keep our hands to ourselves, put your hands in your lap, please. I will say the first line of our prayer. I want you to say it back to me nice and loud. I see the face, adults, you're welcome to join us. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. Oh, holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you.
from Psalm chapter 116. What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. A word from the psalmist for us today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Hosanna, save us. Save us from our desire to explain away our, your words and actions so that we can maintain our own comfort. Save us from thinking we can say a few prayers without ever letting your spirit transform our daily lives. Save us from the status quo that has captured us and is so hard to escape. Hosanna, save us. Save us from our impulse to act as gatekeepers of your house. Save us from thinking your word is safely confined to a book. Save us from trying to firm up what you are shaking up. Hosanna, save us. Amen. Gospel according to Matthew. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, 
Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a coat, and the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself? He left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. The gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> pray together. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. Six days. From celebratory, cheering crowds to humiliation and abandonment. Six days. From that crowd spreading their cloaks on the ground as if he's royalty to a simple, clean linen shroud in which his broken body is wrapped. Six days. From riding into Jerusalem straight and strong 
to being carried into Joseph of Arimathea's new tomb with its great stone rolled over the entrance. It all happens in six days. This remarkable life we're still trying to figure out over two millennia later. This example of faith we continue to emulate this morning. This confusing man who speaks in parables and argues with the religious elite and eats with exactly the wrong sort of people. His light that burns so brightly is extinguished in six days. On this joyful morning, there is still a tension to this passage. Jesus is riding on a precipice. And what's most striking about this entrance into Jerusalem, this Palm Sunday celebration, is how finite it is. Because in a matter of hours, the same crowd who is this morning shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, will be shouting, let him be crucified. One of my earliest church memories is the Easter pageant our very large uh, Southern Baptist Church put on when I was a kid. We lived in Waco, Texas at the time. And this was quite the production. It happened in Waco Hall, which is on Baylor University's campus. The entire choir was involved, 60, 80-person choir. There were dozens of actors of varying degrees of skill. Uh, Several years, there were live animals and everything that comes with having live animals on a stage. Lots of children. The church did this every other year. It was all hands on deck. They took months to prepare for it. Both of my parents were involved. My mom did somehow did hair and makeup. I have vivid memories of her gluing beards onto men's faces. She also sang in the choir. My dad did some acting, did a lot of voice acting. One year, one of my favorite years, I got to be on stage with my mom and turn Jesus the guy who was playing Jesus, he was the long-haired youth minister. I think that was his only qualification. He had long, dark hair. His name was David. I turned his sandals around for him after he got baptized. Um, and they, like, dipped him down into part of the stage and sprinkled him with water and stood him back up. But I got to turn his sandals around so when he walked out of there, he could just slide his feet right into him. And he told me I was very important. But the best thing, by far, because we did these every other year, by far the best thing I was ever allowed to do was to run down the aisle of Waco Hall, waving a palm frond like our kids did this morning, and yelling at the top of my voice with all the other kids, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. It felt naughty. It felt like we were doing something we weren't supposed to do because we had been told by our parents, don't you ever run in church. And here we were being told, this isn't really church, but it's church-related, and you're allowed to run. And I was so excited. I remember being so excited to get to announce that Jesus was coming to the audience. Standing here this morning, I wish I, wish I felt that same level of excitement. But what keeps reverberating in my head is six days. Six days, it only took six days for everything to change. Scholars continue to question Jesus' awareness of what's to come in these six precious, precarious days. Did he know he was writing to his death? 
Did he already suspect that one of his coming encounters with the religious elite would be his last? We'll never know. But we can be certain Jesus intended to make a statement with this entrance into Jerusalem. Jesus sends his, do- his disciples to fetch a donkey tied and a colt with her, which sounds odd. Why would he need a donkey and a colt? Um, and dis- but this is, this is a fulfillment of prophecy from Zechariah 9. So that's part of it. But the question remains, is Jesus planning to ride both animals at the same time, a la like a circus performer with a foot on each, right? Has the reins in his hands? That's always what I envision. But one of the commentators I read this week, his name was Andrew Pryor, he said this. The centurions coming into Rome all had their remounts. They all had a second mount. Their spare horse, in case their main mount went lame. So Jesus is towing his own remount. And it's only a foal. So not only is Jesus maintaining his main, his main mount, his main mode of transportation is a low-status working animal that's considered peaceful, and a far cry from the war horse, which was the normal animal for a king to ride, his remount is a baby. Now, despite his lowly method of travel, Jesus receives a king's welcome as he comes into Jerusalem. People lay their cloaks on the ground as they would for royalty. As you know, they shout, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, which literally means, save us, son of David. This was the Jerusalem equivalent of a ticker tape parade or a coronation convocation. And it's possible that beyond causing people inside the city to ask, who is this? Jesus' procession also drew a little attention away from another procession on the side of the city. For as some scholars suggest, at the same time, on the other side of Jerusalem, coming in from the Galilee gate, the back gate, if you will, was Pilate. Entering the city, he was entering through the Jaffa gate, and he was certainly riding a war horse, and he was accompanied by a thousand or so Roman soldiers brought into the city to make sure Passover didn't get out of hand. But with the eyes of the city still on him, Jesus makes this procession, comes all the way into the city. He then goes directly to the temple. This is different from gospel to gospel. In Matthew's version, which we heard this morning, he goes directly from this procession straight to the temple. And then as Matthew tells us, he drives out all who sold and bought in the temple. He flips over the money changers' tables and the pigeon sellers' seats. He shouts... It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. But this outburst and this active dismantling of the temple's highly profitable sacrificial system isn't enough to keep people away. People continue to come to Jesus for healing right there in the temple. Children continue to cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. And the chief priests and scribes, understandably, become indignant. Do you hear what they're saying? They ask Jesus. But you wonder if they aren't really wondering, do you know what you're doing, you rabble-rouser, you troublemaker? Do you see the unnecessary attention you are calling to yourself and to our temple? Who are you to turn over tables and drive business people out of this place? Who are you to heal people in this holy space? Who are you 
that people ask you to save them and call you son of David. Who do you think you are? My friends, the good news this morning is that in seven days, this question of who Jesus is will be answered. When we gather again next Sunday, we will celebrate an answer that words can never fully express. An answer that's better summarized by action and the shocking joy of a stone rolled away from an empty tomb. This triumphal entry, as we so often describe Jesus' actions on Palm Sunday, are the beginning of six whirlwind days. Six days in which Jesus refuses to back down, refuses to act as his people and religious leaders expect. Six days in which he tells stories, foretells his coming death, is anointed by a woman whose name we will never know, shares this most beautiful meal with his friends, is betrayed, prays to God, is arrested, unfairly tried, mocked, scourged, spit on, hit, and eventually crucified. As you know, these are six really rough days. Every year, they force us to consider betrayal and death, corruption, and the dismantling of the status quo. If it wasn't already clear, the next six days will make it plain that Jesus is a radical who cares nothing for kingship or power, who dismantles principalities and powers not through violence but peace, who sees and loves those people we'd rather not acknowledge or struggle to know how to help. If we walk through these six days with Jesus, we will not come out unscathed. We will not come out the same. But we will... We will come out in the quiet stillness of a world transformed, a world that will never be the same. It all happens in seven days.
season in which we grasp to understand the divine just a little bit better. This is the time for us to reach inward and find the divine that God sees in each of us. This is the chance for us to look at ourselves and to care for Christ in our midst, in the faces of everyone we see. Linton Roads are long, 40 days, but they are full of gifts. Linton paths often seem chill, maybe even cold, yet warm with the winds of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the light that leads us in these hushed nights. Christ is our companion on this journey in the intense sunlight of the day. We remember Jesus' time in the wilderness, the struggle, the hunger, the eventual peace. May the Spirit who traveled with Christ in the wilderness and fills us with the hope of God surround these elements. May the Spirit speak to us in the season of wilderness, becoming our strength on this journey and filling our lives with love. Because, friends, if we're honest with ourselves and with God, we're all seeking something. Some of us long for a place to belong. Others seek permission to be who you have been made to be. Some of us are hungry for connection, hungry for justice, or hungry for a glimpse of God. No matter what it is your soul longs for, there is good news to be found here. So if you came looking for justice, then rest in the comfort that you will be well-fed. If you came seeking beauty, then let your spirit marvel at the beauty of a community coming together. If you came seeking a brush with the divine, then know that God is present in this very ordinary meal. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guests. He is the host. There is a seat here with your name on it. So kick off your walking shoes. Let your weary heart stop the search. We are standing on holy ground. All are wanted. All are welcomed here. Christ calls each of us with our doubts, our shortcomings, our failures, and grief to this table where we are not just tolerated. We are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. And now if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, Jesus was seized by those in power. Knowing the night that he was to be arrested, he gathered with his companions for a meal in secret. They had to hide. But at that meal, he gave us a pledge of love that does not go away with death. After the meal was over, Jesus, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks for it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body surrendered for you. 
And then when supper was over, he took a cup, he gave thanks for it, and he filled it with wine. And then he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and drink, all of you. This is the seal of the new covenant, my poured out life. I will drink this cup with you again at the table of God's joy in the new day that is coming. And whenever you do these things, remember me.
In just a moment, I will offer a benediction, and then as a reminder, we will have a silent procession today. So uh, when, once the choir has exited the sanctuary, I would ask that you also leave in silence. Save your conversation until you get out in the narthex, and in this way, we turn our faces toward Holy Week. Now hear this benediction. Whatever wilderness the Spirit has brought you to, Walk in boldness as a beloved child of God. Walk in peace under the shelter of the eternal. Walk in faith knowing Christ walks with you. And go be salty. Amen.